Good evening. Thank you, Michael. That was an amazing worship. Just give the worship team a hand. That was amazing. It's an honor to be with you guys. I think it's been about 15 years or so I came to Light of the World Church here. I don't know. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So it's been, I don't know, 15 years ago. I got dear friends uh, that live up here and friends that are in uh, Africa now, and, and this is where I connected with them 15 years ago, so it's an honor to be with you guys. Yeah, I uh, originally from Northwest Arkansas, and I got radically saved in 1997, strung out drug addict, hit by the power of God in a college parking lot, and uh, February 18th, 1997, it just got absolutely just exploded by the power of God, and it's a pretty wild story. I, I, I grew up going to church, but I didn't know Jesus and, and kind of went down that path. Once athletics was out of the equation, I just went hard into partying. But, uh, and I was running with my good friend. I went off to college near Little Rock after, uh, for my first year, and I came home for my first summer, and I got a, my, my, I got a DWI. And I couldn't afford to go back to college where I was at, so I ended up going to a community college with my good friend. My good buddy was homeschooled till ninth grade. His mom's a Pentecostal praying mom that anoints everybody with oil, prays in tongues all the time, you know, never sleeps. Anybody got a mom like that? Y'all need to get a mom like that. Um, you know, she'd be waiting at the door when I'd come in high as a kite, just praying in the spirit and just anointing everybody with oil. She had put anointing oil on the pillow. Anoint his ears, Lord. You know, so I couldn't go afford to go back to college where I was at, so me and him end up getting an apartment and doing the drugs that keep you up four or five days a week. You know, just getting on a train that most kids don't ever come back from. And yeah, it was quite an ordeal. And but you, when you got a mom praying, storming the gates of heaven and hell like that, you're not going to last long in it. And, um, and it happened. My friend, he'd come off a drug high, and when he came back, he was weird. He stopped talking. And for the next four months, he just looked at everybody with real big eyes. We took him everywhere we went, put him in the back seat, but he didn't talk. Well, it culminated on February 1st, 97. I showed up at his house another day to hang out. He comes running out the front door, screaming at the top of his lungs, Corey, it's heaven or hell. It's heaven or hell. You have to make a decision right now. I'm backing up. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? He goes, give your life to Jesus. I go, no. I end up grabbing my buddy. We leave. It was known his mom prayed him through a three-day deliverance, breaking the power of the devil off of him. He comes back to Jesus. He gets saved. I get angry. You don't get saved at 20 years old. You're so close to 21. You know, you're, you got so much of your future ahead of you. You get saved when you're 30, you know, when you want to calm down with your life. These were the deep memoirs of a 20-year-old. And, uh, and so I was angry. Two weeks later, he showed up at college. I just got my second DWI. And he looked at me. He goes, Corey, hell is real. And you will spend eternity in hell if you don't give your life to Jesus. And most of the time that would work, but I said, dude, shut up and take me back to school. And so he drove back to the college. I'm about to get out of the van, and right before I get out of the van, I felt a presence come into the van I'd never felt before. I didn't know who or what it was. I think I was cussing as it entered in, 
but I began to shake violently like I was having a seizure as the Holy Spirit filled the van. All I can see is a tug-of-war battle between light and darkness over my soul. My friend pulled in the back of the parking lot, and I guess Pentecostal praying mom taught him one prayer. He went right for it. He goes, in the name of Jesus, I bind the Antichrist spirit. That's prayer one-on-one. You get that one down. He takes authority over the spirit. It manifested to a chokehold around my throat, and I knew I had to get out the name Jesus, but all I could get out was G's. I was choking I couldn't get his name out. I'm screaming, geez. He's in my ear screaming, say it, say it, say it. I said, I'm trying, I'm trying. And I just remember taking a deep breath and with all the power inside of me screaming his name, Jesus, the hole breaks off of me and it was like God came and breathed into my mouth. For the next five minutes, all I could say is I've got air, I've got air, I've got air. He jumps out of the van dancing, running around the van saying, Jericho's come down, Jericho's come down. I didn't know what Jericho was. Well, I'm sitting there saying, I got air, and I hear the voice of God come into my mind, and the voice says, get out of the van, get on the pavement, and give me your life, your mind. So I jump out of the van, get on the pavement, kids running everywhere, and I start screaming at the top of my lungs, Jesus Christ, I give you my life, I'm yours. In that moment, I pass from death to life. I was forgiven of all my sins, delivered of all drugs. We were sticking needles in our veins, smoke a bag a day, drink a case a day, and one raw encounter with the presence of God brought instantaneous deliverance. I went home that afternoon, sat on my porch swing for two hours, undone by how blue the sky was, how green the grass was, and how loud the birds were. Within a month, I had a drug ring of friends that had encounters like that or bigger in their explosions. I, and they all getting saved, getting encountered by Jesus. I lead my little brother to the Lord in high school. Over the next six months, we saw half the high school come to Jesus. Five meetings a week till three in the morning. And I began to get a holy addiction for the presence of God. I fell madly in love with the presence of God. I had just got my second DWI and I couldn't go nowhere, so I'm like, You know what, i got to get rid of all these Tupac lyrics. Man, I need to read the Bible and get new verses in my head. And I began to connect with those older women. My three best, I had three best friends my first two years of salvation. Two 50-year-olds and one 80-year-old woman. And these girls are devil come out or I'm coming in after you kind of women. They taught me about praying, praying in the morning, praying at night, praying through, carrying the burden of the Lord, the spirit of travail, the spirit of intercession, hosting the presence of God. Hey! And I cut my teeth. They go, you don't need your favorite song on before you start praying. You got tongues in the Bible. You got tongues in the Bible. Go after God. They cut my teeth and I got... It's what I, I lived in it. I was studying to be an elementary teacher. I don't know how I got through it. I got married to my wife in 1998, had our first daughter in 99, and I began to connect with this ministry in Kansas City called IHOP, the International House of Prayer. And we made a radical jump two days after graduating as a teacher. I moved to Kansas City to become an intercessory missionary where I spent 18 years of 30 plus hours a week in prayer and fasting and study of the Bible. 
I never had a plan of going to preach. I wanted to sit on row two, cry over Bible verses, ask God to send historic revival and for Jesus to come back. I cut my teeth on that. That was the game plan for my life. That was the plan. And here we are in 2019, coming on three years, the Lord sovereignly moved us from Kansas City. I've now got a 21-year-old daughter, an 18-year-old daughter, and an 11-year-old daughter. And the Lord moved us to Dallas in 2019, where we're uh, part of the Upper Room team, and we sang some of their songs tonight, and I'm just discipling and training young people in the place of prayer. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 1. I, I feel like I have a word for us tonight. I want to encourage you, I brought a book that I wrote this year with me. I've got them right over here. It's called Teach Us to Pray, okay? Prayer that accesses heaven and changes the earth. I've written seven books. Most of them are about prayer and connecting you to God in prayer. I've done about six prayer albums. I do prayer courses online. I just want to connect a generation to God in prayer. Because no man is greater than his prayer life. No man is greater than his prayer life. I can fake you with my gifting tonight. I can do all kinds of calisthenics and cool things with my gifts. But who you are when you close your eyes is who you are. That's the true litmus test of a man is what happens when he looks at God. And when he opens his mouth, does the atmosphere shift? Do angels attest to your words? Do demons manifest when you open your mouth? Is the atmosphere shift when you live? Because you can't fake that. And I believe that God wants to call a generation to prayer. The disciples spent three and a half years in an open revival service with the Son of God. They were in every revival service. And then they sat by the campfire talking to him and watching his life. Morning, noon, and night for three and a half years, they watched the Son of God live, eat, breathe, preach, and we never see them ask once, teach us to preach, teach us to heal, teach us to do miracles, teach us to do missions. After spending three and a half years with the Son of God, they go, we want your prayer life. If Jesus is the greatest leader ever and produced that in the ones who are around him the most, I'm asking myself a new set of questions as a leader. Does anybody want my prayer life? Is anybody asking me to teach them in prayer? Not just tell me I need to pray. We all know we need to pray because that's one of the things we feel guilty we don't do enough of. But where are the mothers and the fathers that have broken through into the throne room and know how to take a generation by the hand and escort them to the throne. How to introduce them to the Father. Introduce them to the Lamb of God. Introduce them to the Holy Spirit. And know how to grow a generation up into the spirit of prayer. So that's that. That's part of that journey. All right. So are you in Psalm 1? We're going to look at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 tonight. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here. I believe that the church has been getting exposed. 
And I believe that the Lord is, is wanting to call us to Psalm 1 and 2 in this hour. This is where I've spent the better part of the last eight years. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight, everybody say his delight, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates, say meditates, day and night. He will be like a tree planted by rivers of water. He will bring forth his fruit in every season. His leaf will not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. I believe that the church has been getting exposed of the counsel we've been walking with. There's a deadly progression of the heart that whatever you're flirting or casually listening to today, you'll be standing in agreement with tomorrow, and you'll be sitting in the seat of the scornful and the cynic the third day. It's the slow progression of the heart. Whatever counsel you're listening to is the seat you'll end up in. And we are getting exposed on so many levels of the traffic, the noise, the counsel that we've been drinking deep from in the last season, and it's manifesting openly. And I believe that the Lord's wanting to deliver the church from the counsel of the ungodly, and He's wanting us to fall madly in love with the Word of God again. We're going to talk about prayer. I want to tell you the, the prayer is when God's Word is abiding on the inside of you. The Word of God being communicated to you is what imparts the spirit of prayer. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you desire and it will be given to you. You get blank checks when God's Word's living in you. His delight. Here's my first question for you tonight. Do you delight in the Word of God? It's okay. I'm not looking for yeses and hallelujahs and amens. And I, I want you to go talk to God about that. Do you enjoy the Word of God? Is it a place of pleasure? Is it a place of joy? Is it a place of comfort? Is it a place of counsel? Is it a place of conviction? Is it your daydream? Is it your break? I believe that God wants to release a revival in the Bible in this hour. Get us out of Fox and Twitter and CNN and barbershops and Facebook and, brother, did you hear this? And, brother, did you hear that? He wants to get us out of ungodly counsel that doesn't produce anything and he wants to begin to connect us again to the Word of God. Delighting in the Word of God. Meditating in the Word of God. And meditating means when the Word gets off the pages and gets into your mouth back to God. Meditate is when you whisper Bible verses back to Jesus in prayer. It's when you whisper phrases to Him. And in that place is where the Holy Spirit begins to move and transform you. The words that are going to transform you the most are not mine or any preacher you hear this weekend. 
the words that will transform you the most will be your own. When you hear you declare God's word to God, you are transformed the most. He will be like a tree planted by rivers. If there's anything we need in America in this hour, we need trees. We need trees who have broken through the surface of shallow Christianity. People who have broken through kiddie pool Christianity. Who have, we got a bunch of 50-year-olds with big floaties on sitting in the, in the kiddie pool. God's wanting to take us to the deeper waters. He's wanting to grow us up into the head. He will be like a tree planted by rivers of water, which means this, tapping in to sources that thrive in the midst of famine. Because the water's underneath the ground. In the midst of famine, he will still bear fruit. In the midst of famine, he will still source life because his source doesn't come from outside. It comes from the hidden below the surface. Trees of stability, trees of shade, trees of clarity, trees of protection. We need trees in this hour. We need oaks of righteousness. Oh, we need a people that get a root system and it'll be the hidden life. He says this, he will bring forth its fruit in its season. It literally means in every season. It says his leaf will not wither, which means he flourishes in famine, and whatever he does shall prosper, which means heaven co-signs whatever check you write. Heaven says amen to your life. I believe Psalm 1 is what I'm calling you to, because I want to set the backdrop is Psalm 2. Psalm 1 is the call of how we respond, but we're in a Psalm 2 hour. In Psalm 2, I, I'm going to say something to you, and I, and I mean every phrase I'm going to say. I believe that Psalm 2 is the 12 most prophetic verses for where we're at right now in the earth in the Word of God. This, is, this would be like me saying, and the Lord would say to you, David is in a full-on vision. He's not a hippie with a guitar. He's a prophet. And he has an open vision. David had many visions. He saw the crucifixion of Jesus. David saw the resurrection of Jesus. David saw Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which is still going to come, Psalm 24. David had many visions. In Psalm 2, David sees the global landscape that is happening around the earth in the hour in which Jesus is going to return to the planet. And the first word out of David's mouth is the word, why? You can see Psalm 2 like a four-part drama. Each act in the drama is three verses. And in the first three verses, David's going to be seeing something unprecedented. And he goes, why do the nations rage? 
and the people's plot a vain thing. He, and then he sees this, the kings of the earth, the kings, the presidents, the heads of state, he sees them all in unity with one another and they're setting themselves. And then he sees backroom meetings of judges and rulers taking counsel together. David's seeing this. And who are they declaring war on? They're taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And this is what they're saying. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. I want to tell you something. You're either going to see God's word as loving boundary lines in which you experience pleasure, or you will see them as bonds and cords that restrict your pleasure. When a generation wants to get set free from the old guy in the old book, when a generation says, who are you to define truth for me? Who are you? It's time to remove the ancient laws, remove the ancient boundaries, remove the ancient constraints and restraints that's keeping us from the full revolution and revelation of all that we were meant to be. It's global babble. It's global babble, Genesis 11. When a generation wants to open up demonic portals, let us build ourselves a city. And God says, huh-uh. And David is seeing, and the word is why, which means it's, it's, it's insanity. It's not, re- it's not rational. And he goes, why do nations rage? Kings, judges, rulers, billionaires. And they're declaring war on God. David's watching this, and I always picture him just flipping through the channels and he's watching the newscast going, this ain't going to happen. Why are you trying to do this? You're you're building a sandcastle. There's a wave going to come down. Don't do it. And the Lord wants us to feel it. I think we can say, all of us in this room, we're feeling the first three verses. But hear me. It's very important that you get to verse 4 or you'll get into the flesh Most people can feel it. It don't take a prophet to feel it. It takes a prophet to learn how to ascend above the storm and to connect with the Father's perspective over the rage of the nations. What's verse 4 say, somebody? He who sits in the heavens. We're now going to get the Father's perspective about the same reality. How does the father feel about nations seeking to overthrow the son's inheritance? And namely, guys, this is, we're in the beginning of the beginning. This thing is going to culminate around a plot of land in the Middle East. That's where this is all going. I want you to understand that. My main point is that I want you to feel it. Now, everybody say, in the heavens. I cannot overemphasize the point of learning how to ascend and learning how to let the throne life and the throne love and the throne power possess your mind. Hey! When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, he said, it ain't about your list. It's about understanding our Father in heaven. In heaven. 
Friend, we've got to lift up our eyes and connect to the throne room. There is an immovable throne that's sitting far above every principality, every power, every ruler, every dominion. There's a throne that's set in the heavens. And he laughs. The confidence is what the church needs in this hour. The church needs to get her confidence back. Psalm 29 says he sat enthroned at the flood and he sits as king forever. It's an immovable throne. It's an eternal throne. It's righteousness and justice are its foundations. He's the ancient of days that when the pompous little beast is pumping his words, we see the ancient of days seated on his throne with the throne of fire and rivers of fire proceeding from the throne. Get up. Learn how to get up. I'm going to bring it in personal here in a second. In the world you have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And then it says that Jesus did this. John 17, 1. He lifts his eyes. Do you know how to lift your eyes? I'm not talking about hoping. I'm not talking about trying to get to a hard season. I'm talking about anchoring your soul to entering into the presence behind the veil. Hey! He laughs. That's the most terrifying verse in the Bible is the laugh of the Father. It says that he will hold them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. What's the Father's message to the nations, kings, judges seeking to overthrow the city and his son's inheritance? The Father declares it. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. He goes, I want all of you kings, judges, and billionaires to know something. We've already voted, and you weren't in the voting process. I've already set my king on my holy hill. And right now, there is a man seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. His name is Jesus, and he's seated far above every principality, every ruler, every dominion. Hallelujah! But friend, he's about to stand up and he's about to descend to the earth. And he is going to take his seat on this earth as the son of David, where he will rule from the sea to the sea over every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I love this father of Psalm 2. I love fathers that embrace prodigals. I love fathers that give good hugs. I love fathers that kisses good. But I love the father that says, ain't none of you jokers going to overthrow what I planned eternity for. All of it goes to my son. No, no. This is about a love between a father and a son. The Bible 
is about a love between a father and a son. The scene closes, the next scene opens, and we see Jesus standing there. And David is about to overhear some of the holiest words in Scripture. The eternal son talking to the eternal father. And he says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And I love this. The father looks at the son. He goes, you see those nations raging? Ask me for them. And I'll make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. What is Jesus doing when nations are raging? Is he on Twitter? Is he in Facebook chat rooms? Is he on the dark web chat rooms? No, he's making eye contact with the Father. And he's receiving from the Father phrases that he's going to speak back to the Father. The Lord has said to me. That's, I want to tell you, I don't have time tonight, but Acts 4, they do Psalm 2. And in the midst of pressure and persecution, the, this is when the church comes out of the shadows, comes out of the chat rooms, we come out of all the side conversations and all the ungodly counsel, and we fight upstream to make eye contact with the Father, where we are receiving His words over us, namely the revelation of our beloved identity, the revelation of our sonship, the revelation of his affection over us. The revelation of our belonging to him. The revelation of our nearness to him. This is an hour where the house of prayer is coming to the center. Father's house is the house of prayer. And we got a bunch of Christians living in the front yard of Christianity. And I can hear the Holy Spirit saying, kids, it's getting late. It's time to come on in. The house is the place of acceptance, and it's the place of inheritance. The father is washing the church, breaking the orphan, breaking the widow, breaking the slave, breaking the live at a distance, breaking the hypocrite, breaking through to where we come into the house of belonging, where we let his love break the power of our fear, break the power of our shame, break the power of our guilt, Break the power of our condemnation till we can't get tired of living like the younger son in Vegas or the older son in seminary. In the house, you are my son. Ask of me. I'll give nations as your inheritance. This is very personal to me. I told you I have three daughters, and in 2012 we had a son. We named him Nash. After Daniel Nash, who was an intercessor with Finney during the Second Great Awakening, not too far from here. I got so marked by Daniel Nash's life, we named our son Josiah Nash. Daniel Nash was a hidden intercessor. 
And our son was with us from 2012 and then March 16, 2013 at nine and a half months old, laid down for a nap. I'm in London, England ministry, and he doesn't wake up from his nap. I get the nightmare of calls. We go through the nightmare of eight years of wondering if we're going to make it. The one chapter that the Holy Spirit took me to to navigate my heart through the last eight years has been Psalm 2. Because Psalm 2 teaches you how to fight. Hear me. When your most precious promise is under the greatest attack. How do you respond when your most precious and most dear promise is under the greatest attack? This is when the Lord taught me, Corey, your greatest places of warfare are to become your greatest places of inheritance. Wherever you've seen the devil showing his hand, that's the place that you make eye contact with the Father and you declare the promises back to the Father. In 2015, a friend sent me a dream. I was asking God, God, what's my inheritance? I'm like, God, I want my marriage. I want my marriage to survive. I want my family. But I even want more than family. I want, I want generations out of this moment. God, shift this thing. Give me something. I want a great, 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 great grandson to live in realities because of decisions I'm making right now. I was pleading for something generationally. See, Psalm 2 is generational praying. It's more than God giving you your ministry a little bit more anointing. And it's tapping into the legacy of generational lines. I say, God, what's my inheritance? What's my inheritance? And a friend sent me a dream that the church was under siege. The cultural wars were increasing and it exposed prayerlessness in the church. Everybody ran into the church building as we realized we don't know how to pray for these days. We don't know what to say or do. And I walked into the dream, and I come in smiling, saying, these are the days we've been waiting on. And my friend began to prophesy over me. He said, Corey, for every one voice of awakening, I'm going to raise up seven voices of intercession. For every one voice of awakening, I'm going to raise up seven voices of intercession. Then he told me, he said, I've given Lou Engle, some of you might know that name, Lou Engle. He's led stadium events, prayer and fasting. He says, I've given Lou Engle the Nazarites, but I'm about to raise up Nasherites. The Nasherites will be a hidden army of intercessors. They may not be known in the eyes of men, but they're going to be famous in heaven. And I'm going to send revival. And I'm going to visit their homes and their cities with the spirit of revival. And in the greatest places of war, I'm going to pour out my spirit. My friend sent me that dream. I said, God, that's my inheritance. Give me 100 million Nasherites. It says that he will rule them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. It's when the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes back on the Word of God. I'm tired of wielding the butter knife of the Spirit. Because on the day of Pentecost, they were cut. You can't fake cutting. 
can't manipulate cutting. You can't get enough smoke to come up here to make cutting happen. I believe God wants to release words that cut again. I believe he wants to release an anointing of prayer that releases the word of God again in power. I came tonight. I came tonight to give this word, Psalm 1 and 2. I felt it. The Lord spoke it to me. I couldn't really sense anything. We had a prayer time back here. And as soon as I got in there and we broke through, I'm like, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I believe that God wants to call the church out of an apathy and out of a, we lost our soul in the last couple of years. We got exposed. We got our hearts dull and weighed down. We told God, God, if we had more time, we'd pray more. Well, he gave us a whole year off. And we got more addicted to Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and Instagram and TikTok and We discovered, God, how unlovely you really are to us. And how really bored we are with you. And I believe he wants to take people like us, the most distracted, the most busy, the most encumbered people, and liberate our souls and release an anointing of prayer upon us. That God would release fresh fire upon our hearts again. God would release a spirit of prayer upon us. There's revival in this region, man. There's revival in these wells. There's revival. There's old prayers here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I believe he wants to release a fresh spirit of prayer upon you tonight. Hey! Let's stand. I've been preaching that God's going to release three T's back to the church. Tears, tongues, and travail. It's when you run out of words. And I'm not talking about charismatic just some dribblings. I'm talking about the Spirit-inspired groans. Just open up your hand. I just want to ask that God would visit us. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would release the spirit of prayer upon all these people tonight. I pray for the awakening of the groan deep within their spirits. God, where we got weighed down and worn out, where we lost our way in the last season. God, we re-sign up by making eye contact with you, Father. We repent tonight, and we come back to you. We're going back into the house. Father, in the name of Jesus, break off. Break off the, the refuge of lies and the weight and the oppression of the last season. God, I pray right now. God, I want a love affair with the Word of God. I want your Word to be my supreme joy.
I need to get out of the counsel of everybody else, and I need to get into your counsel. God, I want your word to come alive on the inside of me. Release an explosion of the word of God in our spirits. An awakening of the word of God. Take us back to our 20s. Let him kiss me. God, I ask you just to just forgive us, God, where we bought into the counsel, even the scornful spirit, the, the bitterness, the cynic, the unbelief. God, I pray for a delight to touch us again in the word of God. And God, I pray right now that you would awaken a Nasherite army here in Albany. I pray that you would awaken a Nasherite army who would come out of the chaos, the confusion, and the craziness of their worlds and who would enter into fresh eye contact with the Father. Teach us how to ascend. Teach us how to get to the throne. How to get to the throne, God. I pray right now, break off every religious ceiling. Break off the witchcraft. Break off the sorcery and the divination. Break off the lies. Break it off, God. Release a holy invitation. Come up here. I will show you things. Come up here. Thank you, Jesus. Just have the worship team come up here. Ask of me. The Lord told me I'm going to make your greatest places of warfare your greatest place of inheritance. Touch our families, Jesus. Break into our families. Touch our children right now, Jesus. Set our children on fire. Hey! Hey! God, I pray right now that you would release breakthrough over our children. Break the power of the devil. We rebuke every satanic assault against our children. Every work of the devil, we break your power. In the name of Jesus! We break your power. Breakthrough in our homes. Breakthrough in our neighborhoods. Breakthrough in our schools. Breakthrough in our churches. Breakthrough in Albany, oh God. Release the spirit of revival. Restore the power to the word of God. Release the season of dashing. Ah. Uh.